This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Fitbright, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Sam Carroll and Chris Beasley as we reflect on the Blues. First defeat of the restart, a hugely disappointing performance down at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 1-0 defeat last night. Putting a real dent in uh, Carlo Ancelotti's hopes of taking the Blues into Europe. It's not over yet, but of course, it was a hugely uh, missed opportunity. So that is the main focus of today's pod and a few other uh, strands of discussion will come uh, from from it, of course. Um, Preno, I'll start with you. And um, what were what some of your feelings at the, at the final whistle? I couldn't possibly do that on a family podcast. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I was immensely disappointed. Arguably the most disappointed I've been all season. Um, it's it's like almost like the two steps forward, one step back situation, where we've just had two, you know, workmanlike, admittedly, but you know, promising performances uh, away at Norwich and then beat a decent Leicester side, which was hard work, admittedly, but you know, it, it was a victory nonetheless, achieved by you know, sort of the, the managers organisation and a couple of moments of inspiration and so you go to Tottenham you know with reasonable optimism and an opportunity to maybe prove that you know so the club is moving in the right direction and then it just explodes absolutely everything that you'd hoped for you're left with a feeling that there's far too many players in the squad that simply a aren't good enough and b haven't got the character and the attitude required to take the club where it wants to be it just left you feeling so miserable afterwards. Um, you know, Gary Neville in his analysis on television, you know, summed it up where he was getting angry on Evertonian's behalf. Where at the very least you want to see is commitment and aggression and intensity. And a lot of that was missing during the game. And so it's just immensely frustrating. I mean, this isn't even a decent Tottenham side, to be fair. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got they've got quality on the side, admittedly. You know, they've got two or three players that, you know, so a lot of clubs in the top four would would cherish. But it's still not a good Tottenham side. It's had like, you know, sort of major disappointments this season. And we went there and we just were flat, we're poor and allowed them to win fairly easily, to be honest. I mean, that statistic, six touches in their penalty area all match. Yeah. Oh my God, that was appalling. So now I feel very, very disappointed. And to me, it just underlines the scale of the task that Carlo Ancelotti has. We're all behind him. We know what a great coach he is, but my word, he's got a lot of work to do. Sam, same question to you, and I'll, I'll put the same question to Chris as well. What, what was your feeling at full time? Just fed up. I'm just sick of these games where, why is it always Everton where you you, you know what's going to happen after watching the first 30 seconds? And I know sometimes people try and turn that on a turn and say, oh, that mentality is part of the problem, but it's not because I'm sat at home watching the game and, and these lads are, uh, are there on the pitch and, and just consistently now since probably... Uh, the first season of Roberto Martinez, we, we've gone into these games and you, you can just see from the first, from the opening encounters, from when that first goal goes in, that we could have played for about two weeks and we wouldn't have scored. And as Preno was saying, you know, statistics don't lie at the end of the day. And, and I also think that sometimes you, you you don't even need them. You know, you can see it with your own eyes that some people uh, just, just don't care and just aren't playing to, to what we need. I think I was speaking to Michael Ball earlier for his column this week and he made the good point and, and this is something that I've, I've been brought up on. You know, we don't expect Everton players to be, you know, Lionel Messi standards every game like, like most teams don't but at the end of the day you expect people to put a tackle in. You expect people to have a go 
and you expect people to, to try and set an example. You know, there was times yesterday where you just needed someone to go and do something a bit different, go and make, you know, a, a pass that tries to, to split the defence open or, or get in between the lines. But it's not. It's just safety first, really kind of just soft football. And, and there's just no one in, in that team, certainly that started, that gets you up off the edge of your seat. You know, Awobi went backwards after a good 45 minutes against Leicester. Uh, Sigurdsson went backwards after a couple of bright cameos. You know, Gomez is just such a hard one at the moment. I know you touched on him in the verdict that you wrote afterwards that I thought, you know, kind of summed it all up. And it is tough because the lads had such a horrible injury. But I, I, if if they think he's ready for Premier League football right now, he certainly isn't showing it. I think he's been the worst player since since we've came back. Um so, you know, it's just it's just so frustrating. Just I'm just sick of it. I just want the season ended and hopefully we can with enough time, Carlo Ancelotti can get the bodies in that he wants and, and we can start seeing something different because it's boring now. It's boring seeing the same old same old Evan and it, it needs to change. Mm, and and, and that, that word boring, I think Gary Neville may have said it and, and uh, formerly of this parish, uh, Mr. Mr. Greg O'Keefe, now the Athletic, uh, messaged me that exact phrase at full time. It's boring now. Um, Chris, what was your feelings uh, yeah. at full time? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, we're all delighted to, to have Carlo on, on board and uh, if anyone's going to turn it around at Everton, it's, go- it's going to be him. But, you know, it was reminiscent of the dark days of the Sam Allardyce era. It really was that attritional. And, I mean, for, for Gary Neville and Manchester United stalwart to, to sum it up for Evertonians, like like we said, you know, he was he was echoing everything that, that Evertonians were thinking and watching that game. It was so predictable that, you know, they get a couple of decent results after the return, after after lockdown, and then any sort of sniff of a big game or a, a must-win fixture, and they just fall flat. They don't deliver like... Um, Davis said, you know, it's a talented Tottenham team, but they're going for a real sticky patch. I don't know they struggle to keep clean sheets, and yet Everton just didn't um, threaten whatsoever until it was far, far too little, far too late. And uh, what is it, five years now since they've come from behind uh, um, at half time to win a Premier League game? That just shows you a total lack of backbone, total spineless group of players which have. They 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 don't represent what um, we were would be looking for in, in an Everton group of players. We've got three different people here. You've spoke to on the panel three different age groups showing different generations almost of, of Evertonians, and we've all grown up on slightly different things. But they they don't represent what I want to see from a, a, an Everton group of players. Prano. Um... Many, many damning statistics from the game. Sam, I think, mentioned, or was it maybe yourself, forgive me, you know, six touches in the box. Um, I was fearful of a Mourinho-style wounded animal backlash after their recent results uh, and was fearful of of Mourinho rolling back the years and and, and producing a defensive masterclass to really nullify us. But he didn't need to, did he? No, not at all. I mean, and the sad part of it all is that a lot of Evertonians saw this coming. I mean, uh, we we sat in the house here and, you know, so watch it on telly and we have like a little bit of a prediction thing beforehand. And as usual, you know, the younger elements of the family all go for, you know, handsome away wins. And uh, I just said, no, I can't see it. The best we get is a draw. You know, so I really don't think we'd struggle with that because Spurs will be up for it because they'll want a reaction after what they've been through recently. 
And we saw that with the incident that happened, you know, so as they left the pitch at half time, where, you know, the goalkeeper Hugo Loris and Son, you know, Loris is not exactly, you know, so the most aggressive individual in the world, but he was furious with Son for not tracking back. And, you know, the pair of them almost come to blows. Mm. And, yeah, I think it was Mourinho said afterwards, it was a beautiful, you know, sort of moment. And I totally get where he's coming from. You know, so sadly, I'm old enough to remember, you know, so uh, Everton squads that did used to have little rooks in the dressing room where they you know, wouldn't actually physically be fighting each other. It wasn't far off it. And uh, it was over, you know, a perceived lack of attitude or, you know, sort of perceived lack of intensity because it meant so much to them. And you got the impression last night that it didn't really mean all that much to some of those players out there. You can't just, you know, group them all into, you know, sort of one big group and say, yes, you know, so they were all going through the motions because clearly there are some players in their squad, you know, it means an awful lot too. And, you know, a highlight with Charleston, especially, who get, gives absolutely everything every game and they seem to be taking it in turns to foul him last night. It was almost mm. like a, a Jose Mourinho strategy. You foul him this, this minute, you foul him next. He's their danger man. If you keep him quiet, you know, so we're halfway there. Well, they did. And unfortunately, there weren't enough people to step up to the plate beyond that. And if anything, him. You know, if you're going to try and take a positive from him, Carlo Ancelotti will have learned a lot from that. You know, so he's a very experienced coach who knows players inside out, and he'll know there were players that he can't trust and he can't rely on. So I think there'll be, you know, so players willowed out uh, as a winnowed out as a result of that performance last night. Whether we can see wholesale changes in the summer, I don't know, because obviously it's very, very difficult, and that brings problems of its own. You know, suddenly bringing in five and six new faces. But I certainly think there were several players last night that did their cause at Emerson Football Club no good whatsoever. Mm. Um, as, as I mentioned, Sam, many damning statistics and, and understandably the stats from uh, from the midfield, uh, or midfield no-show, should we say, um, have really kind of um, sort of really sort of prompted a lot of debate online amongst Blues fans understandably and, and the, uh, the the ever excellent EFC Stato on Twitter has come up with some really quite horrifying ones um, tackles attempted by Everton's midfielders in the first half it's attempted Tom Davis 2 Alex Awobi 1 Gomez and Sigurdsson 0 um, tackles attempted by Everton midfielders having played a minimum of 45 minutes Anthony Gordon 3 Tom Davis 3 Gomez 2 it will be one. Sigurdsson zero. Would you make of those? Oh my god! <laughs> it's just again, isn't it? It's it's what we've touched on and what bees I think summed up is that this just I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you're Tom Davis from the academy or Benny Beningami or you know Gilfie Sigurdsson and Alex Awobi who, who cost all that money. It's it's just not what you do. You know, you win games sometimes purely on having a go don't you know we look at Chelsea uh, the game under Duncan Ferguson we were in terrible form heads were down just simplified everything and we got stuck in and you, you could tell they didn't fancy and it was like it was like the old days and you know none of us are sitting here and saying you know we have to go back to the David Moyes style football to win matches uh, over the over the course of a full season you know that's not it but sometimes you have to roll your sleeves up and, and have a go and the sad thing is now that you're not even expecting them to you're not even going into it now and going you know what, Gilfield Gilfield loses everybody and just go and hit someone early doors and, and maybe play play through a bit of, you know, channel his anger correctly, you know. Gilfield, sorry, Andre Gomez, another one, doesn't really channel it properly, you know, seemingly just gets frustrated and starts running around like a headless chicken or doing stupid things, you know, that, and he's and he done that a few times last season. So it's a real, real concern that a few months ago or weeks ago we were sitting here and maybe saying, 
we need one or two midfielders. And now you're sitting here thinking you could need four or five. And that, that's fantasy football stuff. You can't you can't do that over over the course of a summer. You know that's something that you can only do over two or three years. And you know that that's the scary part of the challenge. That this might you know people talk about there's no overnight fixes, but this might not be a one or two year fix when you're left with that kind of deficit in midfield. And these lads who just don't really seem to have the appetite to say. You know, this isn't a great Spurs team. This isn't as if you're mm. up against lads who are going to go down as all-time great Premier League midfielders. I think these were lads that, if you would have got stuck into them and you would have had a bit of a go as and take them on and, and do the right thing and move the ball right and get them running and get their heads down, you, you can have a real go at them. This, this is not a good a good Spurs team that we're talking about, not a team that got to a Champions League final. You know, this time 12 months ago, a lot has changed since then. And, and we just let them do what, what they wanted to. And, and as I said before, that game could have lasted for, for 10 hours and it would have been probably 1-0 to Tottenham because we just didn't have the appetite for it. And, you know, as we say, this is talked about a lot. We've talked about a lot this season. But uh, if I'm Brands and, and Carlo Ancelotti and, and I'm meeting up to talk about that midfield, I think you'd just be asking yourself, what on earth are we going to do? What is the resolution? Because I certainly can't see one. Mm, um, Bees Mason Holgate over the weekend uh, had given an interview um, where he said Carlo Ancelotti had, had created a culture had brought a culture to the football club where and I'm paraphrasing here if somebody's not, somebody's not pulling their weight then people will be told now and he said that wasn't always the case previously so if that if that's true and that people aren't pulling their weight and will be told we met, we've, we saw the on field um, incident with Spurs are we are we concerned that we didn't see it on the pitch with Everton or are you confident that we that, that home truths will have been told between the group after the game and on the, on, on that, that flight home I'm not confident that, that they will have done because we, we have seen this before unfortunately um, they, they, they a great example the infamous example I should say of um, the FA Cup home game against the Liverpool second string where they uh, of the full stand side and totally um, fell flat. Um, it, it, as we know, Carlo Ancelotti has brought the best out of so many um, great players over the years. And I'm sure he is the best to do it at Everton, but whether he, he does it with this group of players or not, I'm really not sure. And um, like we said, the, the trouble is, is you can't make so many wholesale changes over one summer. You just can't bring um, one team out and one team in. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of players there. You've got real question marks over their attitude as well as their ability. Prano, obviously, you know, look, dust has settled and still, understandably, there's a lot of there's a lot of frustration, anger uh, and disappointment about what went on last night. Is is there any is there any mitigation for not being uh, not not being at the standard we expected? You know, has has the restart finally caught up with us after four games a little bit? Are there too many tired legs? Is, is the is the manager's lack of options in midfield finally bitten? Um, possibly, possibly. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of factors to bear in mind here. Yes, there's a very very frenetic fixture list since the restart, and obviously they play again in you know sort of three or four days' time. And uh, there's a lack of crowd, which again possibly indicates like a little bit of a lack of intensity. But everybody else is in the same boat and other football clubs seem to be able to overcome that and play with a level of intensity that, you know, so it gets them results. And Everton haven't been doing that or certainly weren't doing that on Monday night. And that worries me a little bit. I mean, 
like I say, the only saving grace really is that Carlo Ancelotti will have learned a lot from that, and uh, and maybe not quite so, um, you know, sort of pessimistic as Chris uh, about you know so home truths being spoken behind the scenes. I like to think that they will, or certainly from the coaching staff, you know, so they will have seen you know sort of enough on the pitch there to be disappointed by and to have a real go at. Uh, so you know, hopefully we will see longer term changes. But the, the big problem is that you know the club or the, the squad. It's so lopsided, it's so not really fit for purpose at the moment. And you know, a great deal of changes will have to be made in the summer to address that. I mean, this is a club that, you know, wants to be playing in Europe, wants to be, you know, sort of, you know, aiming at the Europa League. And, you know, we're still in the bottom half of the table. And it's, it's just, it's not like a, a vintage season either. It's just, it, it, it frustrates me and it disappoints me. There's so much work to be done still. And I totally trust that Carlo Ancelotti is the right man to do it. And I've also seen some nonsense about Marcel Brands' record as well, uh, you know, so on social media. And I disagree with that entirely. I think that Marcel Brands is, is totally the right man to be a director of football at the club. But there is a lot of work still to be done in a lot of areas. And I understand why, you know, so fingers are being pointed, certainly at some of the players who are being recruited, because they're not doing themselves any favours at the moment. And uh, still more changes have to be made. Um, it's, it, it's flat, it's worrying, it's frustrating. Uh, but I still think we do have the people in the right positions of authority to address that and to change it. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Sam, uh, you know, we know that you know the, we knew that the midfield needs needs major surgery before last night. You know, and last night wasn't uh, didn't didn't offer anything new in that respect. And you know, you know, as you said at the, at the start of the pod, you know, we would love to bring in three new centre midfielders and, and totally revamp the place but obviously the reality is probably something quite different and we may only see one if, if we get if we're able to get the player in that, that we want this summer it therefore leads leads me to the conclusion that Carlo is going to have to make the majority of these midfielders already at the football club better um, can he do that? It's not always necessarily about making the players better because these players are good players you know I, I still don't think you become a player who you know isn't capable of playing for Valencia and Barcelona like Gomez or a player who kind of single-handedly drags Swansea through up the Premier League table like Sigurdsson you know a player who emerged onto the scene like Davis a, a player who's done well for Arsenal and already you know an established Premier League player 23-24 like a world you, you you don't become a bad player. It's the, it's mm. the system, isn't it? And it's it's them being being shown what what they can do. You know, you look back at that Chelsea game under Ferguson, and, and they all had really clear roles and defined roles, and they got stuck in. You know, they, they made the right decisions and the right passes. So it, it's more about finding the system and the, and the tactics that are going to suit them, and and then try and then that's when you try and squeeze a little bit more out of them, and then that's when you try and you know develop their game a little bit, which is tough because you know Gomez experienced international you know Sigurdsson 29-30 it's only really Davies and Awobi and that that you think will, will be able to be moulded you know by mm. David Ancelotti by Carlo and, and Dunk as well so I think it's got to go hand in hand it's got to be you know a system and, and tactics that they recognise and what makes that even harder for the end of the season and, and the only real thing I can say you know I do feel a little bit sorry for the likes of Sigurdsson on is that you could probably tell him a hundred times in the changing room, like go and go and nail someone, go and throw some tackles in, you know, put your 
and he's not that kind of player, is he? And you know, anyone who plays football themselves, you, you'll know if, if you're not that type of player, you're, you're not that type of player. It, it is what it is. So, you know, he, he, he had his best season last season under Marco Silva when he had a full season in the number 10 and he scored a lot of goals and he, he made goals and he was one of our best players. Is, is there any coincidence that he's not playing so well now? No, probably not. But is it disappointing that a £45 million player can't do a role that is only, you know, slightly different? You know, attacking midfield, central midfield. It's, it's not a massive... You sh- the, the difference in quality of performance shouldn't be as broad yes. as what it was. So it's it's hard. It's, it's so hard to, to think about and talk about. But at the same time, we've got to understand the limitations we've had. The tough season we've had in terms of Gomez's injury, Jabamon's injury, playing out of position. You know, no one able to make partnerships or rhythms. So it's really going to be next. I think if we're sitting here next season and having the same discussion about these players, then it will just have to be, look, they've had time, get rid. But mm. for now, might they be given a stay of execution because of the summer and because of how difficult it'll be? You know, it's it's hard to talk about, isn't it? But I think we could genuinely fill a, a 10-hour podcast about each and every one of them and the performances <laughs> this season because it's it's just puzzling and it's, it's, it's confusing. Um. These Spurs were able to, um, to to keep his arms length pretty pretty comfortably last night. You know, as we mentioned, six touches, six touches in the box. I thought that Calvert Lewin and Richarlison, although typically honest in their performances and and typically hard working, um, started to look a little bit leggy. Um, can we can we rest either of those? Can we afford to rest either? For, for any of the upcoming games, or do we just have to persevere and ask them to to dig deep and and and, and you know try and try and uh, and run through it all? Yeah, I think I think you've got to stick with them, Phil. Um, given that uh, the, the way that they they've been energised since, we must say, obviously it was it was Duncan as caretaker manager who first implemented the, the two up front again, and then Carlos continued with with that. So, but with um, no even no even no Umar and the ass or Trent Olsen now was even. Back up, I mean, you've, you've got to both. And then, fortunately, I think we look at all those players. I mean, they're the two players actually now who offer the most, the most promise for Everton, who have like the least question marks about them in terms of both character and ability. I mean, some of the players have got their, have got the ability, but not necessarily the character or, or vice versa. So, yeah, I think on, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a grueling schedule, isn't it, for all the Premier League teams now, where we've like five fixtures in the space of, of a fortnight. But as, as, as long as they, you know, they are fit and that they don't pick up any injuries, I think um, unfortunately for them, they, they've just got to tough it out if possible. Prenner mm. um, won the sort of uh, glimmer of positivity last night again, as, as it has been a common theme in the restart, was the performance of Anthony Gordon. How pleased were you to see? The positivity he he exuded as soon as he as soon as the second half kicked off. Yeah, he's been a shining light, hasn't he? Uh, so ever since we restarted, uh, and it's not just like little flashes of promise that you see. He looks like a lad who's got the the requisite physicality uh, and attitude as well, which is like so important. I mean, so often there are very very technically accomplished youngsters that you know sort of show a little bit of promise, but he can't make that final step into becoming Premier League regulars because it is such a demanding league to play in physically uh, and because so much intensity is required yeah he's showing that I mean those statistics that you mentioned earlier you know sort of three tackles uh, you know so he threw in and he was only on the pitch you know sort of uh, you know, half the game um, so he's showing plenty of that 
and yeah, thoroughly deserves you know the exposure he's getting at the moment. Uh, and I suspect we'll be seeing a lot more of him between now and the end of the season because so many of the players in and around him aren't showing. I mean, Alex Iwobi frustrates me enormously. And, you know, I have big rows with my son about it because you know he's uh, <laughs> he's somebody that should we should we politely say fails to see any good in his game. And um, you know, certainly that performance against you know sort of Leicester and the defensive display against Liverpool, you could sort of see, you know, sort of why he'd been recruited. Or admittedly, a huge sum of money. He looks overpriced at the moment, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, but then when you have like a, a promising performance like he did against Leicester, and he just goes missing again uh, in a game last night, that frustrates you enormously. And Calvert Lewin, who I like enormously, you know, so as a player, I've spoken many times as to why he is, you know, sort of the future of the football club and how he can become, you know, a great player for the club. You know, we've, we've compared him to Graham Sharp many times in the past, uh, admittedly with an awful lot to do to reach those levels, but he just hasn't looked like scoring uh, since we've come back. And again, that worries me a little bit. And I'll put that down against the fact he has been isolated so much mm. uh, in games and he hasn't been given any kind of service worthy of the name. I mean, I think away at Norwich was the only one opportunity he's had, which he might have done better with. But, you know, if you're going to be a centre-forward, you need to start having, you know, so at least one or two efforts on goal every game. And I'd like to see just a little bit more. But he's going to have to carry on playing. And, you know, so I'm going to have to keep performing because we haven't really got any other options, like you say. Um, you know, so Cheng Tosin's elsewhere. Iman Nias, you know, so has ended his association with the club. And neither of those really the answer anyway. Uh, so, yeah, he's going to have to try and play through this. And in the long term, it might do him good. You know, so it might actually... You know, so allow him to learn, you know, so from this experience. But, you know, there's an awful lot of players in the squad you want to see a little bit more from at the moment. And the only plus point is they get a very quick opportunity to show that, you know, against, ironically, a Southampton team have just had a great result and a great performance. Uh, yeah. And they'll do the same again. They did it against Everton, it's against City. Two banks of four, just sat in deep, let City have the ball in wide areas and put cross after cross after cross in the box and defended them brilliantly. Everton are going to have to be cuter than that on Thursday, and whether they can be, well, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's let's move the conversation uh, before we finish uh, away from from Spurs and and, and Southampton. Um, we will, of course, return to Preno um, on this, as you will understand why when I when I um, re- uh, mention what we're about to talk about, um, Sam. <sighs> I mean, I I I'm sorry is is just disbelieving when when I saw the news. Um, what was your sort of reaction to seeing the uh, desecration of the Dixie Dean statue and the flare and it being lit up um, yesterday? Just one of the things that's starting to to do my head in is is how people are going on, you know, especially on so- social media. And I know we can all get dragged into it a bit too much, and you think that. You know, the view on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever you go on is the overriding view. But all this finger pointing and, and thing of, oh, it's an Everton fan, it's a Liverpool fan, it's a this fan. It's a, they're not fans, are not, they're not fluffy fans. They're just mm-hmm. absolute idiots, aren't they? And I think every single one of us has, has used a lot stronger. You can put <laughs> any other word yeah. that's four letters in, in, in place of that. Because, you know, if you're the kind of fella or, you know, teenager or, or however old you are who's getting up on a Sunday morning and saying, I'm going to go and set a flare off on Dixie Dean statue where people use it as a memorial. You're just, you're just horrible. You're just absolutely you're just scum. At the end of the day, that's all there is, isn't it? And I don't even think sometimes, you know, you want to give these people the, the time of day. And obviously it is our job, unfortunately, to report on stuff like that. You know, I thought 
the response from Everton was, was really classy. You know, thankfully, it's only minor damage. But, you know, if, if, if you're someone who, I don't know, was in, was in the WhatsApp groups or, you know, whatever this has been passed around, if your mate's been the person who's done that, it's not grassing or it's, it's not... It's just, just turn them in because... At the end of the day, it's just it's just absolutely horrible to do that to, to a place where people, you know, lay, lay memorials and, and obviously, you know, Dixie Dean, as, as we know, you know, is has obviously got family members and stuff who, who are related to, to Preno as well. And, and even that is just, you know, such a horrible thing for them to have to go through to see the, the statue of their, you know, relative be, be lit on fire like that by, by someone who's clearly just got absolutely nothing about them to, to go and do something like that. So at the moment it's it's becoming very concerning how you know this this kind of thing is, is slipping out from you know you see kind of arguments and stuff like that on, on social media and, you, and but now it's really starting to slip out into into real life which is is very, very concerning because it's just absolutely not worth it. You know, it's 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 football and it's competitive and it's tribal and we all want to be the best. But, you know, some of the behaviour we've seen over the last couple of months is, is just absolutely despicable and, and it, it genuinely worries me. Again, it's a continuation, isn't it, of, of what we, we've already seen, unfortunately, with the um, the, the firework being deliberately um, launched at the, um, the, la- the live building. And let's not forget... Um, um, Prince Rupert's Tower as well um, uh, just a, a year ago um, a, a, an 18th century building which uh, predates um, but not just Everton and Liverpool football clubs but um, Liverpool being a, a city in itself um, yeah it's just total disrespect of, 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 of property of, of um, just of, um, people it's actually done it's actually done for a reaction and, and then the, the walk, walk minds of these individuals who have done it. They think that they're going to get some sort of um, credence, some kudos from it. But and in the end, they're they're just um, making themselves. And um, I suppose you couldn't say the institution that they represent because they don't represent that. I mean, it's just causing an embarrassment um, to them as well. It's just um, it, it, it's mindless and it needs to stop. But no, it's, it's it's appropriate that we we uh, we come to you for the final word on uh, on on the incident. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my wife, Melanie, Dixie's granddaughter, lived with him, you know, so until she was 13 years of age when he passed away. And, you know, initially, uh, her immediate reaction obviously was very, very disappointed, very, very upset. But the initial reaction is just to try and maintain a bit of a dignified silence. And, you know, so I hope it's uh, an isolated one-off. But as Chris has mentioned, it isn't. You know, we're seeing more and more of these things happening all the time. And so, you know, Melanie made a statement in the end because, uh, like, a number of media outlets got in touch wanting to know if she was going to say or if the family were going to say anything and so if she did on the family's behalf. And I think the, the overriding uh, emotion is, is puzzlement. Mm. Why would somebody do that? You know, so we're guessing it's a Liverpool fan. We don't know for sure. Uh, you know, you imagine it works. It's a red flair and you know, it's seen as a provocative gesture on, you know, a statue of the club's most celebrated, you know, sort of figure ever. But if it is a Liverpool fan and you've won the league, why aren't you celebrating? Why are you mm. choosing to try and make provocative gestures to the other club across the city that you claim, you know, so doesn't really, you know, so pass across your consciousness? I just don't get that at all. And the people that, you know, if it was a Liverpool supporter, the people that did this are clearly unaware 
of the relationship between Dixie Dean and an absolute Liverpool, you know, great, who's got a statue of his own at Anfield, uh, Bill Shankly. The pair of them were big pals, uh, you know, so they visited each other, you know, so Bill visited uh, Dixie many times, you know, so after his retirement, um, he was with Dixie the day he died. Uh, he gave that incredible speech, which later became almost like a eulogy to Dixie. He was present and read the eulogy at his funeral. You know, the pair of them were very, very close. And so I was trying to score points, you know, so against people that, you know, were actually pals with each other. I just don't get it. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's worrying. But when you're putting flares, which have got the potential mm. to cause damage, and we're told yes. that damage is only cosmetic, but, you know, there is damage caused there, and the potential to damage the floor displays at the bottom, that's when it becomes altogether more sinister and altogether more unnecessary. It's not fancy. It's disgusting, to be honest. And, yeah, you know, so the, the family were very upset, and I understand why, you know, so they were upset. And I just... I'm baffled, to be perfectly honest. I just don't get what people are hoping to achieve by doing that. It's not funny. It's not banter. It's not scoring points. It's just stupidity, basically. And the people do need to just grow up and, and you know, so basically learn. Mm. Yes, it was certainly uh, an act beyond all our comprehensions. I think that's a uh, very uh, mild, mild way of, of saying so. And uh, as you said, the... Uh, the club have have come out, and of course, uh, Melanie also saying something last night. Um, okay, before we wrap up and uh, and end, which has been a very uh, a very difficult pod in many respects. Um, let's try and get some predictions for Thursday night. Everton back in action at home to Southampton. Uh, Prenel, I'll come back to you straight away. What's your your prediction for the next game? In true Everton tradition, you know, so it's going to be you know I talk about two steps forward, one step back earlier. I'm hoping this is going to be another step forward. Southampton have been decent, you know, so on occasions this season, they've got a real, you know, thorn in Everton's side in Danny Ings, who always seems to do quite well against us. Uh, and their confidence will be absolutely sky high as a result of the, uh, the scoreline that they got against Manchester City at the weekend. They've also had that extra day and a bit to prepare, which also makes a difference, you know, certainly when the fixture list is so intense. But I just think Everton was so flat on Monday and we, we need a reaction so badly. I can see Everton getting more a reaction and getting the results. Um, defensively, we've been solid since the return. Um, you know, people have, you know, have been organised well. I saw somebody on Twitter last night having a bit of a moan about Jordan Pickford, which I didn't quite understand. You know, again, you know, I, th- I think he's been okay uh, since the restart, and you know, he hasn't been an issue, and the defence hasn't been an issue. Uh, it's been in other areas of the team, notably midfield. But I think we'll see a reaction. You know, so if we can get a little bit of spikiness in that midfield, that Southampton. I can see an Everton victory. 2-0, maybe 2-1. You know, I'm going to go for a 2-0 home victory. OK, Sam? I'm not feeling too confident for this one, so I'm thinking 4-1. <laughs> <laughs> Calvin Lewin, do a goal in it, so I'm saying two, two for Calvin Lewin, Richarlison, and a little Awobi. Right. Well, I know. OK, I'll take that. Uh, Bees? Yeah. Um, t- typical Everton, I believe that they've had one point away from home all season against teams in the top half of the table. That was under Duncan Ferguson, one all at United. But flat track bullies that they are, they just get enough points against the teams in the bottom half of the table. And they'll sneak this one 2 1. 2 1, yeah. I, th- I think it'll be a 1 0, but I think it will be a return to winning ways and hopefully uh, go to uh, making some amends for, uh, for what happened last night. But uh, we shall see and we will pod again on Friday, uh, bringing you reaction to uh, the game. Looking ahead to the trip to Wolves. 
Um, chaps, thank you very much for your company. Honest and forthright, as always, on all those topics. So that was uh, very much appreciated and a good listen. And thank you very much for you for tuning in. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.